Shepard, would you please stop using this terrible language? You have children listening to you. Tonight's uh, program will have overtones that could be of extremely disgusting nature to many of you more sensitive people. I would suggest you tune on down the dial where they're probably doing something more suitable to your kind of nice, warm, cuddly nature. In other words, uh, this could be bad news tonight. Just thought we'd let you know. with the 
common cockroach, which is uh, a German animal, actually. He comes from Germany. Did you know that? Cockroach that we know is a German animal. And, uh, boy, they've done a lot of stuff this century. I mean, they're just terrible. But, uh, nevertheless, the cockroach that we know is German. And I might also point out that they are extremely adventuresome creatures. One thing about the cockroach, he is not, as uh, we so often say, a stick in the mud, as they say so colorfully in uh, the Reader's Digest. No, he's not. In fact, uh, you probably remember, it was uh, which, which, one of the, uh, uh, which one of the Apollo missions was it reported halfway to the moon by one of the astronauts that they had found a cockroach aboard the capsule which was on its way to the moon. Do you recall that? Right. Uh, he shortly thereafter disappeared. In other words, that, that uh, cockroach, uh, like cockroaches do, you know, he knows how to blend into the scenery real good. He was on his way to the moon. Now, uh, they did not find that cockroach when they arrived back here in the States. They, they thoroughly went over the capsule. They did not find the cockroach. So we must now assume that there is no longer an absence of life on the moon because the uh, cockroach, being <laughs> extremely adaptable, is no doubt doing pretty good up there. Imagine about the next time two or three Gemini or uh, Apollo missions get up there and they have to take along all this insecticide and stuff. And now, now the, the fact that the, that the Americans particularly find uh, insects repulsive says something about the basic intolerant nature of our attitudes towards, you know, things in general. The Chinese enjoy insects. Are you aware that one of the big pets in, in China is, is to have as a pet? As a pet, a cricket. No, I mean real pet. They have crickets, and they keep them in little cages. You get a little cricket cage, and you keep your crickets, you know, and when you go take a trip to Hunan or someplace on the airlines, you have to check your cricket, or uh, yeah, you have to send them ahead by special freight. Or you have, they even have little kennels that you can leave your cricket there when you're going out of town for a couple of weeks. You leave your cricket now. Also, the cockroach is a, is, a, is a big pet over there. You kids think I'm kidding you? I'm not. I'm really not kidding you. As a matter of fact, that, that one of the big things they do in China is bet on the crickets. That's right. They have cricket races. And I'll never forget the first time that this fantastic sport really permeated itself into my leaden... Uh, at, at one time, when I... See, I, 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 I've, I've long had a... A feeling, uh, you probably, have you heard the uh, Shepherd's famous uh, scrambled egg hypothesis? Any of you heard that? Well, the Shepherd's scrambled egg hypothesis is roughly that everybody is born with scrambled eggs between the ears. And, uh, the, the scrambled eggs in the beginning are very soft, you know, they're just like soft scrambled eggs. And as time goes on, they continue to remain scrambled eggs until roughly your 23rd year at which point you begin to have a semblance of brain. And uh, so, <laughs> the, uh, so that, the, that the... Now, you don't know you got scrambled eggs at the time you got scrambled eggs. You think you've got these fantastic, clean-cutting brains. I mean, you really do. You think you're very insightful. You have fantastic insights and all that stuff. And it's only later, when you look at some of the dill dockery that you were guilty of at the age of 15 or 16, that you realize you must have had scrambled eggs between the ears. Else, why would you do such a you know nutty thing or believe such crazy stuff? But there I am. I'm sitting there, see, and uh, 
we had this magazine that, that kids uh, were given in school. You know, they, they continue to foist dull magazines off on kids in school, like uh, Current Events. And you sit there. Yeah, you'd get these things. You know. They had another one uh, called uh, The High School World. Oh, boy. All these really bright, clean-shaped, you know, bright-faced kids. And above it, it says Scholarship Winners. Uh, Charlie M. Applerot of West Stuyvesant, Massachusetts, uh, won a scholarship for 107 years due to the fact that he was so smart. Now he's in school and he'll be there for the rest of his life, and he's a great kid. And he's just the kind of kid you want to hit in the mush, you know? He just <laughs> He's looking out with that smarmy look of the kid who all through his life is going to be hooked onto the gravy train. He's already started at the age of 12, you know? So I'm sitting there one afternoon making a model airplane out of out of this uh, current events magazine. And, uh, yeah, they don't make very good airplanes, in case you're interested. They don't even do that very well because the paper's too heavy. It's uh, kind of floppy paper, see? So, anyway, it was all I had. So I'm sitting there in Mr. Wilson's study hall, and I am making a paper airplane. And I turn it over, you know, I'm making, you know, the, I'm making the pointed kind, you know, the kind of airplane that has the pointed little flat wings. I'm working away there. And uh, as I turn it over, see, on the bottom of the page there. See, I steadfastly refused to read anything. I said, to me, that was a matter of principle. And I flipped it over, and there was a little note on the bottom that says, little known facts. And I looked at it. Yeah, that always gets me, the little known facts. How many times do you look at the bottom of a page in a paper, the little known facts? More beans are imported from the state of Wyoming than the entire country of Belgium. So, oh, my God, that's interesting. <laughs> Uh, what you don't know is they don't import any beans from Belgium. See? <laughs> and uh, Wyoming imports five or six a year. So, uh, nevertheless, uh, little-known facts always gets me right where I live. So, it's a little-known facts. The Chinese have made a great national sport on the art of cricket racing. Because crickets are raced in China, and large sums are bet on the outcome of the cricket races. The Chinese enjoy them very much. You know how they write uh, in those school magazines. The Chinese enjoy it very much. I can just see these Chinese running around yelling for cricket, you know, and hollering, putting two bucks on the big one over the end with the big feelers. So, uh, never <laughs> or two yen, isn't that what the Chinese, I don't know what it is, Kopechniks or something. So, uh, nevertheless, I'm sitting there, I said, hey, you know, race the uh, crickets. Well, there weren't many crickets around. I mean, you know, you, know, you don't see many crickets in, under your sink. Uh, the cricket is, a, is, a, is an insect that is heard more often than it is seen. So that afternoon, I'm walking around, and I said to Schwartz, I said, you know, you know that in China they race crickets? Oh, come on. I said, yeah, it was in the current events magazine. He said, race crickets? I said, yeah. He said, you mean crickets, the kind you step on? I said, yeah, they race them. He said, I'll be doing Flick is walking along saying nothing. So we walk a long ways, you know, thinking about this. Well, you know, it's just kind of stuff that makes up your life. You know, this trivial glop. I mean, you should be talking about important stuff instead of cricket. So we're walking on. All of a sudden, Flick says, hey, did they say anything about cockroaches? I says, no. In that moment, the three of us got an idea. It was a simultaneous, spontaneous combustion. We became probably the first Midwestern breeders of great racing cockroaches. As a matter of fact, uh, our little cockroach association was devoted entirely to improving the breed. 
You know, just, <laughs> just the way <laughs> horsemen, you know, always say they're improving the breed. They never say they're after the big doe. They always say, oh, I'm uh, improving the breed, uh, you know. But let that poor horse come in 23rd in a selling plater race, and he's down the chute. So, uh, nevertheless, we started to improve the breed. I went home, and, and I went down in the basement. See, we didn't have we didn't have much in the way. My mother, if she ever found a cockroach upstairs, she'd flip, you know. And the whole idea, she was just to- totally anti-cockroach. But I was not. I was open for cockroaches, and I began to I began to set cockroach traps. Now, how do you set a cockroach trap? Well, simple, really. Uh, if you if you know anything about cockroaches, you take you take a jar, any kind of a jar, like say a you know like a like a pickle jar or something. It's got a big wide mouth on it, and you put something great inside the jar, you know, like a. Uh, chunk of a baby Ruth candy bar or something like that. Something, you know, it's, it's a great piece of something. So you stick it in the, into this jar. You lay the jar all around its side. Got it? And you put it in a place where there might be some cockroaches around. And uh, you wait. And you, you hide. So you go around the other side. You hide in the coal bin or something. And uh, sure enough, within five minutes, the crickets and the cockroaches are out looking around. They smell this thing. And then they start coming into the jar. Well, they'll all walk in the jar. They'll come right in after it, see? Well, now the question is, can they get out? Because the jar goes up and there's a little neck. See, they can get in, but they can't get out very good because it's slippery inside, see? <laughs> That's glass, you know? So then they start they start flailing around. Well, when you got about five or six cockroaches flailing around there, you've got the beginning of a pretty decent stable. So you rush out of your hiding place instantly. You slap the top on a jar and uh, you let them have the piece of candy bar unless you really are, you know, if you're really chintzy, you eat the candy bar. But uh, uh, in general, <laughs> in general, you know, uh, what the hell. So we just let them have the candy bar, but we slap the top on there. Now, what you do, uh, you know, when you got a cockroach, it's knowing what to do with a cockroach. You have to, by the way, speaking of, okay, this is W.O.R. in uh, New York, of course. Where else? And uh, before we do anything else, would you please hit the uh, big money button there, Alvin? Please hit it. Yes. Nice. Good. Here it comes. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, very good. Yeah, this is a beautiful piece of music. Just not a You might expect our higher-priced cars to come loaded, but what about our lowest-priced cars? We'll take the Toyota Corolla 1200 sedan. The manufacturer's suggested retail price for this Toyota is just $1,956, plus freight, local taxes, dealer prep, and options. On it, you'll find at no extra cost front disc brakes, white walls, wheel covers, and tinted glass. The interior decor group is already built in, and the exterior chrome trim is already trimming the exterior. The fresh air heater is standard, the reclining bucket seats are standard, the carpeting, armrests, and four-speed transmission are standard. And that's not the high-priced Toyota. That's the low-priced Toyota. See your nearby Toyota dealer... They got Toyota sedans, hardtops, and station wagons. Dum, da, dum, dum. Uh, listen, I, before I do anything else here, we have another little spot here. It's the Provident people there. Did you get a dividend credit? You know, this is, pre, uh, of course, based on the idea that there are savers. I mean, uh, that's a rare crowd these days. Uh, but if you are a saver, did you get a dividend credited to your savings account on the 29th of February? Well, if you didn't, uh, that's too bad, friend. But you would have if you were a depositor at the Providence Savings Bank in good old Jersey City. The oldest savings bank in New Jersey. And that's old, by the way. They've been paying a dividend now every year for 132 years. They've never missed one. 
That's when Provident Savings Bank started to pay dividends. <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah, it's hard to believe that a company would be that old, you know, that you, you go right, walking right into. That's, that's really ancient. It really is. And if you want to find out about this bank, you can join over 82,000 Provident Savers from all over the USA. They have a national reputation to know that Provident has never missed a dividend in 132 years. So don't lose another day's interest. Ask for the Provident Savings Bank postage-free bank-by-mail kit. All you have to do is write Provident, and it says Name of Personality. Is that me? Right down there. Name of Personality, W-O-R, New York, 10018. That's Provident, W-O-R, New York, 10018. You can call them at M-U-2-6800. They're open now, and you can call them tonight. They'll send you this kit. Operators are standing by looking anxious. Member of the FDIC. Okay. You know, uh, one of the rarest things in uh, publishing, and this, by the way, is a commercial, is uh, is a magazine that really takes off right away, and people talk about it all over the world. And this has happened with Intellectual Digest. And if you get a chance to pick up a copy of this magazine, really do it. It's uh, it's uh, it's just what it says. It's an Intellectual Digest. It's a compendium uh, of uh, of articles from all over the world. Over 300 publications are are condensed into this one thing fantastic series of writers in it. And right now, you can get a free issue of the current Intellectual Digest, uh, along with a no-obligation trial subscription to the next 11 issues for just five bucks. This is a really good price. This is a half the regular subscription price. And if you're not totally satisfied, just cancel your subscription within 14 days, tear up the bill, and you're in business. For your complimentary issue of Intellectual Digest and trial subscription, write Digest in care of me, Gene Shepard, W-O-R, New York, New York. Right now, because it's a short offer. That's Digest in care of Gene Shepard, W-O-R, New York, New York. Or you can call this number right this minute. The phones are open. It's M-U-7-1100. That's M-U-7-1100. That's Intellectual Digest. It really makes it. <laughs> hey, I, 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 tonight, I just thought, you know, I don't want to bother you with this. Uh, this is a... This is, uh, you know, on the answer questions night. I have to do it. There's a, I've been accused of being pro-cockroach, and I think this is a terrible accusation to make. I am not advocating cockroaches under your sink, lady. If you get cockroaches under your sink, it's your own fault, not mine. I'm not, although I will say, I will admit, that one lady wrote to me, and she wrote from someplace in Maine, and she says this is a very strange thing. She says, I don't know whether or not this is a coincidence, but every time... We have your show on the radio, and turn it up, cockroaches come out from under the sink and stand there with a happy look on her face. She says, they really like you. <laughs> she hated me for that. Now, there's another question here. Now, I will, I will, I will do this right now. now. I want you to listen to something. Just, just listen to something. Okay, now I'll give you a chance now, once again, to turn up the radio there, whatever it is you have to do, or go to the john or something. I will now do it again. Now, that's a very controversial sound. It uh, may sound like a simple sound to you. It is not. It's a complex waveform. In fact, if one were to put this... Oh, look at the confusion on the face there. If one were to put this on a scope, oscilloscope, if you had an oscilloscope, and you were to try to put this waveform... If you did put it, you wouldn't try. You'd actually do it. If you put this waveform on your scope you would find this is a highly, very, very complex waveform. I will do it again. 
has overtones, undertones, in-between tones, very sneaky sound. Now, why is it controversial? Well, the curious thing about that sound is that it does two things to people. Either it really bugs them. For some reason or other, it really, really makes them mad. They can't stand it. They, they really get fucked. Or they get completely flipped out. There is no in-between. You cannot be, you cannot be uh, neutral about that sound. I have noticed this. In other words, you either love it or you hate it. You can't say, mm, you know, I'll take it sometime. You notice that about friends of yours? Really, any of you in there? They either like the sound or they think it's a rotten sound. Now, what is this sound? This is the Jews' harp. Now, I'm not going to play the Jews' harp tonight. But I will tell you in answer to the question why I play the Jews' harp, it's because the first time I heard that sound, I must have been about four, my life was, con was, was turned into an incandescent flame. I could not stand it. It was so beautiful. <laughs> well, I'm telling you the truth. It's a sad fact. Now, other guys are turned down by the accordion. And that's an incredible thought to me. Since I have never liked the accordion under any way, shape, or form. I mean, uh, I mean, there's nothing, to me, there's nothing that uh, turns the teeth greener than the sound of an accordion being played at a Polish wedding loudly with people jumping up and down and thumping their feet. Now, uh, that's a, it's a totally different scene. And I'm sure that the Lawrence Welk crowd uh, will defend the accordion to the last breath. Well, I say that the accordion is almost in the same boat. You either hate the accordion or you love it. I happen to be a, an accordion hater. I mean, as a matter of fact, I, I would love to kick an accordion. I'd like to put my foot right through it. You know, <laughs> it goes when you kick it, you know, all the horns blow. And uh, but, but the juice harp's another thing, and I just simply say that I will not play the juice harp tonight due to the fact that it's highly controversial. And also, I don't feel like it tonight. Now, you want me to play it tonight? You don't know. Well, I'm just, uh, just you don't know, see? you got to... A couple of people here in the city, I'll just, if you want me to play it, I'll play it. Here's another view sap. Listen to this one. That's another cut. No, this is an Austrian one. This is, no, do you want to hear another one? Here's an English one. This is an English view sap. It really is. It's a different sound. Now, here is a, wait a minute. No, I don't have that one up here. I will play, uh, yeah, here's a, here's a tiny Austrian view sap. Listen to this one. Totally different sound, see? Great sound, isn't it? My God, that's a beautiful sound. I just can't stand it. Try that one time, friend. I mean, uh, you notice how I toss that off so easy? Talent. Sheer, unadulterated, total talent. Well, <laughs> it was just about that time, though. Oh, by the way, before we go any further, I would like to report that Hutchinson, Kansas, has uh, built in its uh, main town, main city streets there, they have dog restrooms now. And they sure could use that in New York, I'll tell you. Dog restrooms, and each one has 20 little fire hydrants in it. <laughs> tell you the truth, I don't invent the news, there it is. <laughs> I'm really reporting it. They have little fire hydrants. <laughs> I think that's a move in the right direction. I mean, you know, it gives a dog a sense of belonging, see. And they, they actually have uh, they have two two restrooms, you know, for for uh, lady and male type dogs. 
Right, that's just kind of has a little added touch to it. I don't know how the dog decides, but uh, nevertheless, they do, you know. But uh, these these, uh, these things are all passing. I mean, one, one realizes that things are changing in our time. And that the older, uh, the, the, the generation that clung to the fact that a dog uh, should uh, stay under the bed and shut up, that uh, generation would think that putting in, a, you know, dog restrooms in the main town, main right on the street, somehow smacks of frivolousness, Right. You know, you know, waste your money on that. Well, if you're a dog and you got to go, Dad, I want to tell you a dog restroom is pretty handy, pretty handy. Now, <laughs> now that that, that is, is is in the same boat with the cockroaches. Well, me and Schwartz and Flick went home and that night trapped cockroaches. Now, I'm going to give you kids a suggestion. If you want to, if you want to really get involved in a really exciting sport, listen what you do. I'm serious. We went home. And by the end of the weekend, it was like on a Friday night we, we started this, and by Sunday afternoon, each one of us must have had 25 or 30 good moving cockroaches. Now, every cockroach is not a good racing cockroach. See, we tend to think of bugs as a kind of a generic term, you know. Well, any horse player can tell you through the uninitiated eye, a horse is a horse. He walks around, you know, and he's got these four big feet, and he looks dumb. Well, he can tell you there's a fantastic difference between horses. Now, he's, that's what the whole idea of playing horses is about, trying to calculate the difference. You know, <laughs> that's the truth. Well, now, this is the same with cockroaches. That are, that, the talent is a thing that uh, is indiscriminate, and which means, then, that there are slow cockroaches, there are dawdling cockroaches, there are fast cockroaches, there are lightning cockroaches. And then there are just plain dumb cockroaches. There are all kinds of cockroaches, just like people, you know, all kinds. And and uh, the trick, if you're going to do a racing cockroach scene, if you're going to be a racer, if you're going to really improve the breed, is to look always for cockroaches that have not only speed, but persistence. I mean, because the race is not just getting started. The race is getting to the finish line. Now, many a horse is great for about 40 feet, right? Right out of the gate, bang, he runs like hell. And as soon as the dust starts flying up in his face, he quits, right, horse player? Okay, it's the horse that hangs in there. It gets that, goes all the way to the finish line. He's the one that's going to do it. So by, by, by Sunday afternoon, we each had a ball jar, you know, one of these uh, canning jars, with about 20 to 25 cockroaches in it. Now, we couldn't at first figure out how to race them. And we sat around and argued for about an hour trying to figure out... Because, you know, it's not easy to get a cockroach to go in a straight line. I mean, when you want it to do it. He'll, <laughs> that's one thing about cockroaches. Like cats, they have their own mind. And they will do what they want to do. And the question is to be able to harness that and to use it. Now, another thing. How can you tell your cockroach from the other guy's cockroach, ultimately? Well, we had racing colors. But each kid... In fact, mine was blue. That each kid would take a crayon, and you take yeah, you take your racing, you take your cockroach, you hold it between your thumb and your forefinger. See what he's, and you just take a crayon and you color his back. You just take a crayon, and the next thing you know, you got a blue cockroach. Schwartz had an orange cockroach, and Flick's racing colors were pure Italian racing red, and this beautiful red cockroach. <laughs> So each one of us has our own. And of course, later on, when we really got a whole bunch of guys, when Bruner got in on it, and uh, and uh, oh, uh, uh, 
Josway, a whole bunch of guys got in on it. We we got to have very subtle colors, like uh, the guy would have a red cockroach, but then he would take a white, he would take a, a, a like white ink and make a cross on the side of it, like red and white, the beautiful polka dotted ones. We had all kinds of cockroaches, about 15, and they were all registered with the Cockroach Racing Association, which was me and Schwartz. And so, yeah, you had a race under your colors. So, what we, yeah, we went really all out. So when the race is done, here's the way the race actually works. Fantastic. Uh, exciting. It really is exciting. You, 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 usually it's better to do it in the basement or someplace where you have a concrete floor. Flat, smooth concrete. Because wood has problems. The, the trouble with wood is it has little cracks in it, you know, where the wood is joined. And a cockroach will stop when he comes to that crack. You run like hell and you stop. There's this crack, you know, looks dangerous to him. Then he'll back up. Well, you don't want to have that. It's like having, you know, potholes in the middle of aqueducts. You don't do that. So uh, you go to a, uh, on the basement, usually in the basement floor, you have a big flat piece of concrete, right? Or you can even do it out on a, on a street or something. And then you, you, you mark a, a point, a point, right? You just put a little point down on the ground. Then you take a string. Now, you got it now? A string which is five feet long, exactly. Okay. Then one guy holds down the string, the end of the string, on the point. The, another guy then takes a piece of chalk, and he goes out at the end of the string, and he just walks around with the string. He has made, then, a five-foot circle, five-foot radius. You see, it's, it's like using a compass. See? He's made a five-foot circle with white chalk. Okay, now you've got a perfect circle, too. So there it is. It's a 10-foot circle, 10-foot diameter, 5-foot radius. Now, in the middle of the circle, you then make a real short string, and you make about a 3-inch string, and you make another circle. Now you've got two big, two, one little circle and a big circle that are concentric, right? Now, the inner one is of a different color chalk, like green. That is your starting line. Now, the cockroaches then, when you are about to race, and uh, you're, you're all set. Schwartz takes his cockroach, I take my cockroach, and Flick takes his, and it's going to be, you know, a, you know, just a regular $2,500 claiming race, something like that, you know. You just take, you take the three cockroaches, and <laughs> at the cry of go, all three of you dump your cockroaches out of the jar into the inner circle. If you put them on outside, it doesn't count, see? You just dump them in the inner circle, and you stand back. Well, the first thing that a cockroach will do, if it's light where you do this thing, you have to do it where there's light, like a light bulb or something. Now, you can't do it in a dark basement, really dark. Have it lit. A cockroach will invariably try to get out of the light. Did you know that? He instinctually avoids light. That means danger to him. That's why when you come into a house sometimes, dark and it's night, and you slam the door open, and turn the light on, you'll see cockroaches running around. I mean, if you're in a cockroach, yeah, that's right, they, they, in the dark. You won't see them in the day. You won't even see them. See, they don't come out. Well, now, so you, you turn this light on, you dump them down there, and everybody jumps back, seems, whoa, you know, there, there they go. And they will take off like Billy B. Dan, see? And, and, of course, you, you have to start yelling and cheering your cockroach on, naturally. And, uh, they, and, yeah, they're absolutely maddening. A cockroach will run like heck for three feet and then stop. He is leading the field by, you know, 400 lengths. And without any reason, he will stop. 
Now, there are other cockroaches which don't seem to be so fast, but they move steady. There's a certain type of cockroach, and it's a maddening type. They will win many races. They're not exciting to watch, but they will walk very slowly, deliberately, and steadily. <laughs> they just keep walking away. And all of a sudden, he's over the finish line, and the fast cockroach has been beaten. Now, what we would do, uh, we, would, we would put stakes on this, of course. You know, this is a stake race. And uh, we would put whatever we had, like uh, I'll put a nickel on, uh, and y you name them. You name them. Uh, I had a cockroach that was named Big Clarence, a fantastic cockroach, big, beautiful one. But uh, he was better looking than he was a runner. This is something also that happens with horsemen. I mean, you get this beautiful horse. I mean, he, he has trouble getting, the, you know, getting out of his own way at the, at the park. Uh, you know. But uh, we used to run these cockroaches, and we were doing this. Now, it was clandestine might add, clandestine. Because we all had mothers, like all mothers. They were the natural enemies of cockroaches. They are. And women in general, they, they don't like cockroaches. This is a male type thing, I must say. Uh, and I'm not trying to be... Uh, Gloria Steinem can defend her love for cockroaches all she wants, but she's got to convince me. Uh, nevertheless, uh, this is a male thing. So we would hide... We would be very... We're kind of surreptitious about this because we would be down in my basement or we'd be down in Flick's basement racing cockroaches. Well, it began to spread, and within a month, I would say roughly three kids out of five in Miss Breifogel's class, which is where I was at the time in uh, the Warren G. Harding School, were fanatical cockroach racers. We all had our stables. And often we'd bring them to school. When, when you carry them around, the best way to carry a cockroach, if you, you know, a competition cockroach, is in one of these little matchboxes, you know, square, you know, little penny-type matchboxes. Yeah, and it, uh, punch a couple of holes in the top of it. And that, of course, is a racing stable. You, you, you don't keep him in that. You carry him in that when you're taking him to race. And uh, it's, it's easy to dump him out of it, too, you see. Now, what, what do you feed a racing cockroach? Well, it depends. It's just like everything else. You know, you have to train the cockroach. You don't, you don't just feed them on anything. A racing cockroach is best fed on cheese. Now, at first, he will not take the cheese. But when he gets hungry enough, he will begin to eat cheese. Now, why is cheese good for racing cockroaches? Are you curious? Protean. <laughs> it's energy food. <laughs> and... No, and a cockroach will get fat on you. If you if you give a cockroach, if you, if you start feeding a cockroach stuff like a cake, uh, you know, you get a piece of cake or you give him a chunk of a cookie, within a week, that cockroach is just laying around with his belly hanging out. He's, he's not interested in running. He's interested in cookies. And, uh, you know, you just can't get him to move out of his own way. But you feed a cockroach on good American cheese, and you're pretty, fun, pretty soon within a couple of weeks, you have him racing lean and hard. Now, how do you... How do you train him to run? You know how to train a cockroach to run? Okay, I'll tell you how to do that. You take your cockroach and you drop him on the pavement. See, and if he's if he's like many cockroaches, he'll sit there confused for a second. He'll just look around. You know, his little feelers are going. You know, you look. Well, this is bad. This is being left at the post. You know, you ain't gonna do anything with a cockroach that's standing around scratching his nose. So what you do the instant you drop the cockroach? Now, got this now. You, you hold a, a book in your hand, the other hand, see. You're training him. Now, this is, you've got to train the little devil, see. So the instant you drop the cockroach on the ground, right behind him, you go, pow. 
that you just go bam with the book down. He will take off like he has a fire in his fanny, you know? He will go. Well, now, the next time you drop him down, again, he will have forgotten that slam scene. He'll do the same silly thing. He'll go out, his feelers are going, he's looking around. Don't let him get away with it. The next time you drop him, go bam! You do this about three or four times, maybe a week, and you got a cockroach that the instant he's dropped, he goes. He expects that slab, see? All right, now, how do you <laughs> how do you train a cockroach to make it all the way to the end? Okay? When you're training him, of course. You slam like that, and he runs like hell all the way to the length of the table. On the other side of the line, you put a piece of that American cheese. And eventually, he will make a beeline for the line because he thinks there's some scoff down there, see? At the same time, he will go fast because he thinks you're going to swat him on the behind with a book, right? So you now have a racing cockroach. <laughs> you train him. And they really will go. Well, well I, I, uh, I remember, though, one of, the, one of the saddest things that ever happened to me, just I, 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 to this day, sometimes I... I when I, when I go to a place where I see a few cockroaches, I wonder. You know, a cockroach has a personality. There are friendly cockroaches. There are solid cockroaches. There are cockroaches which will eventually become even affectionate. It's very difficult to con conceive of an affectionate cockroach. But if he gets hung on cheese enough, and you pet him and you talk to him, wins a couple of races, eventually he gets... You get, there is an actual uh, involvement. Now, all the people who are listening to me think I'm just, you know, just talking. It's not true. Well, the Chinese, and including the Japanese at the point, I'm not, I'm not kidding you, have for a century had insects as pets. Now, they will tell you, and they will know, they will recognize the difference between the various insects. In other words, no two crickets are alike, no more than any two people are alike. <laughs> That's crazy to say. They, they, they have to be very friendly. And, and uh, they, they have a certain ambience. There are crickets... Well, there are cockroaches with charisma. They, they really have charisma. There are cockroaches that uh, are great runners but are dull. What is it? It's curious. It's personality. Well, I had a cockroach with my racing colors, uh, which was uh, royal blue. I had a cockroach in full royal blue racing colors, which had won maybe four or five consecutive major stake races. Now, that's an interesting thing. A cockroach does not, they're never consistent. And this one had been cleaning up. Cleaned up Schwartz, Flick, Bruner, took them all. And I, it was my cockroach. Now, in, in recess at the Warren G. Harding School, we would bring our cockroaches, that's, you know, the real fanatics, would carry our cockroaches in a jacket, in a, in a matchbox. You got that? And during recess, we would have an occasional race. Or at least we would just run around with a cockroach box open and show it at the girls, and they'd scream, you know, that kind of stuff. But in general, we carried our cockroaches with us because he was, you know, he was our thing. And I had this beautiful cockroach, blue. And I'm sitting in, in class one day, and uh, this is a winner, remember. I, and I had had him for a good maybe three or four months, which is a long time to have a racing cockroach in full racing trim. Because they go sour on you after a while. Yeah, you know, like anything else, a fighter can overtrain. This guy was, he was right at the peak. And uh, I had him in the, in the <laughs> in, in class. I don't know what the hell made me do it. I think we're self-destructive. You ever had a feeling that you're suicidal? 
that you will deliberately do something which is, you know it's, it's no good. It's going to wreck you. It's ruining you. So I, I take my cockroach out, this little bicycle. It's sitting in class. I don't know why I did it. I put it on the desk in front of me. And I opened the box up a little bit. And I'm looking in it. Well, I'm looking into the box. Dan Schwartz is sitting over a couple of feet away. And he's watching me look at the cockroach scene. His little cockroach feelers are sticking out. And I slide the box back carefully, see, so I don't catch his feelers. You've got to be very careful because a cockroach is very sensitive about the feelers. You clip the feelers off, and you've got a, you've got a cockroach that just ain't going to run for you. It's a fact. It's his antenna, see. So I carefully push the box back like that. And I feel, just feel it in the air. I feel something. I knew somebody was looking over my shoulder. You know that feeling you get when somebody's looking at you? I look like that. And looking down at me is Miss Bryfogle. She says, what have you got in that box? Nothing. Have you ever had something taken away from you in school? I said, well, it's just, just, it's just a box. Oh, nothing. I stick it in my... She says, hand it over. Hand it over. And every kid in the room is looking. Schwartz, Bruner, Fleck, all the great cockroach growers see what's happening. I said, what is... She said, hand it over. Come on. Just, just hand it over. I said, all right, I take it out. And I tried to open it up and dump the cockroach into my pocket before I gave it to her, I see. But the first time, he wouldn't get out. It was dark in the pocket. He stayed in the box, see. So I just take it out like that. I, I look, he's still in there. She says, come on, come on, hand it over. Have you ever had do something that you, your, your hand works like slow motion, like, you, like your molasses being poured out of a jug, you know, at the Arctic Circle? She says, all right, she says, anybody else in this class that comes around here plays with matches in a class like this is going to really be in trouble. She thought I was playing with matches. It's a cockroach box. And she takes this thing and she puts it in her bag. She had like one of these, she was one of these ladies that carries a big knit bag. She stuck it in the bag. Up to the front she goes. And she's sitting up there. Class goes by. She's got my cockroach in her bag. What was worse, the damn box was about a quarter of an inch open when I gave it to her. See, I didn't get... I knew it. After class, she says, all right. She says, here. She says, if you bring these matches to this class again, she says, you're really going to get in trouble. We don't have any matches around here. She says, she gives me the box. Clarence was gone. He was in her knit bag. She had one of these big bags, you know, full of lady stuff, powder puffs and all that jazz. My cockroach was in Miss Breifogel's handbag. I couldn't say. What can I say? You got my cockroach in your bag there. I said, okay, I just... She said, well, that, that, let that be a lesson. She said, if you, if you once again come around here with matches like this, you're in trouble. She says, we're not going to have any of that here. I said, okay. I stick the box back. I walked out into the sunlight. Never saw him again, of course. There's no happy ending to this. This is life we're talking about. No happy ending. There's not even a sad ending. I would like to report to you that Miss Blyfogel that night came, you know, was looking for her cigarettes, and Clarence came running out, ran right up her arm, and she fainted, and hit her head on a radiator, and 
Yeah, no, nothing like that happened. As far as I know, Clarence is still out there. A little blue cockroach, royal blue, by the way, trimmed in absolute flat-bellied racing trim. <laughs> Ready to go. Now, I'm curious whether or not that thing got loose in her apartment and people thought she was nuts for seeing blue cockroaches. I don't know. Uh, sometimes, you know. No? Maybe...